listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. The sermon you're about to hear is split into two parts. The middle part, which is audio from a video that we showed during the sermon, has been removed. If you'd like to watch that, please head to the 2nd of August online service on YouTube and watch there. It is good to be with you uh, this week and to be able to share God's word with you. In what for us here in Melbourne, and if you're watching in Melbourne and Mitchellshire, where we're under uh, an increased lockdown. It's been actually a really difficult week as we've seen case numbers go up and there's a sense of a constantly changing situation. But in the midst of this, we need to remember that we actually follow and worship an unchanging God. And God's goodness in the midst of this is that he is present The story of the cross is Jesus coming down to earth and suffering with his people, of showing us where our true home is with him in his presence. We're going to open the scripture today. We're going to continue our series, uh, which is called The Unveiling, which is looking at the book of Revelation in Greek as if you've been following the series, we now know that the word apocalypse, which is for revelation, means an unveiling. And today I want to look at another unveiling that happens in the book of Revelation. And in this moment of lockdown, where many of us are confined to our homes, I think there's a real resonance with this theme. And so the unveiling of Revelation unveils our true home. The theme of home is deeply strong in the book of Revelation. We find these seven churches uh, who are addressed by the risen Jesus, this cosmic Christ who now rules the universe, who in this book, uh, which John receives in a vision, that Christ has a message for each of these churches. And one of the great pressures on each of these churches is, where is their home? Where are they citizens of? Are they citizens of the Roman Empire? Are they citizens of their city? Where is their homeland? Philippians tells us that the people who don't follow Jesus, their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're actually going to do something different in the sermon today is we're actually going to pause and we're actually going to have a video now, which is the story of three people from Red. Part of our family, all who were born in countries that were experiencing, their homelands were experiencing repressive regimes, which meant that their, their homeland was a place they actually had to leave and enter into a journey away from home, raising all kinds of questions of belonging and, and where is home as the experience of being a refugee became theirs. And the reality of the regimes and governments that we see putting pressure on the church in the book of Revelation is actually the the story, the lived experience of these people as they began their lives. So we're actually going to watch this. There's a video here that has been put together by Glenn, and it goes for about 18 minutes telling these three stories. Well, that was incredible. 
And I really wanted to thank Raha, Terry, and Christoph for sharing their stories with us. And the powerful, I guess, witness to Jesus that those stories uh, express and minister to us. I also just wanted to point out, uh, just before we dig more into Revelation, that at the time like this, particularly in our city where we experience more lockdown, to remember that there are so many people in the world at this moment who don't have the luxury and the privilege of even being confined to a home, who don't have homes, who are stateless, who are on the move at this point in time. We need to continue to pray for them and remember too that whilst we're, there's a real local sense of what we're going through here as we see the daily uh, case numbers and we're sort of restricted to Melbourne, that God loves the whole world and to pray for particularly the poor and vulnerable as they experience the effects of COVID-19. Thanks also to Glenn for putting that whole video together. It really has been wonderful to see people come to the fore and express uh, who the church is in new ways using their skills and talents during this time. And no doubt you would have seen the theme of home emerge amongst those stories, of having to leave home, of wondering where home is, and that sense of almost being stateless, uh, as, or being stateless, as Christoph expressed in the last part of the video. And for one church that I want to just speak into today, that was a sense which was very pressing for the church in a place called Thyatira. And we're going to look at that reference right now, which is Revelations 2 verses 18 to 23. Revelations 2 verses 18 to 23. And it says this, Jesus speaking a direct message to this church in Thyatira. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Some of the churches are encouraged to go back to their first love. But the church in Thyatira is actually uh, congratulated by God, encouraged uh, because actually they're doing more that in a sense that first love has developed. The church in Thyatira wasn't as, Thyatira wasn't as big as some of the other cities that the letters uh, are sent to. Uh, it wasn't as much as a sort of like a, a hub, but what it was was a place of great trade and an industry. And to participate in that local industry, you normally had to join a guild. A guild is like a kind of union where the people who perhaps have a particular skill come together and to practice that skill, to work in certain areas on work sites, you actually have to be part of that guild. Now, what had happened in this place is there was a religious component that had come into the life of these guilds that these guilds would gather outside of the work or the trade that they did. And what they would do is they actually would offer up various religious practices, worship to other gods. They would come together for these big religious meals. And not only were those religious meals, in a sense, offerings and sacrifices to other gods, also they often then descended into these sort of sexual orgies. And so for the church in Thyatira, that this presented a huge issue. 
This presented an issue where there was tremendous pressure because if you were someone who perhaps was a carpenter or you worked with stone, that was the way you provided for your family. But by not being part of a guild, by saying no to this worship and and these forms of sexual compromise, you then could not practice your job. You could not put food on the table. So the church in Thyatira finds itself almost completely excluded from the economic and social life of its community. And so God congratulates this church who at this time would have been feeling even in their own city a sense that they're not really home. They're ostracized. They're marginalized. They're different. And some of the themes that we saw in the video of what it's like to be a believer or believe something different in a culture which is not tolerant at all of different belief is exemplified in the situation in Thyatira. But what's really interesting is the next part of this letter, then after this encouragement, an issue comes up. The church in Thyatira does not feel like it's home. But God, Jesus, wants to also call them on something. In this moment of not feeling like their home, they've actually let someone in to their home. Let me continue. Verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and to the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Now, what's going on here? This is pointing out that there is a person within the community of the church who actually is preaching and communicating a different message. They're within the house of the church. They're within the home. But this person does not have the heart of God's house. And the term Jezebel actually is probably not this person's name. The term Jezebel goes back to the book of Kings, and it's actually a particular uh, wife of a king that we encounter in the book of Kings, uh, who came up against both the prophets Elijah and Elisha, um, who was married to King Ahab. And this character Jezebel in the book of Kings represents someone who is coming against the people of God, who comes with a particular influence and actually works against the message of God. And by using that term, what Jesus is saying here is, whilst this person may be an individual, there is actually a spiritual dynamic operating behind this particular individual. And the message that she is giving is actually a message about how to belong. So verse 22, let's continue. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. And what it's meaning here, this is not her literal children. This is referencing those who follow her ways. These are her spiritual children. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So how does this happen? 
How does a group who is feeling that they're not at home all of a sudden have this different factor going on where someone has come into the home? Even a group, a church, who actually Jesus is saying, you're doing a bunch of wonderful things. Your deeds are good. These people are probably helping the poor. They're still meeting. This is a church which actually looks healthy, but there's a rot in this church which is coming through the influence of this particular person. And I just want to sort of draw this out in an illustration here on my flip chart. If you think about what home is, home is a place where we exercise the most control over our environment. When we move into adulthood, whether you have your own home, whether you bought a home, whether you're renting a home, whether you live with other people, whether it's the whole home, whether it's the lounge room, just your your particular bedroom, if you look at your bedroom or your home, you will see that most of the things in there are actually an extension of your will. The interior design that you like, your favorite things, little mementos, photos, the color scheme that you like, maybe just your unwashed clothes thrown on the floor, whether you're a neat or messy person, homes are an extension of actually what we control. People get really funny about people's homes. If you come into someone's home and you unwittingly break a law, you put your feet on the coffee table, you leave a tea bag in the sink, there's all these little moments where we know that the line has been crossed when someone visits our home. And we even have this whole set of rules that we call etiquette or polite manners where we treat other people's homes with respect. Why? Because the homes are actually the place where we control things. And when we lose control because of outward situations, like the church in Thyatira had lost control over its homes because all of a sudden the way that worship had fused with these guilds and people found themselves out of control, a particular temptation arises for the people of God. And a process begins. So we need to see that this particular woman that Jesus calls Jezebel is actually a spirit which emerges from a dynamic that happens in communities of faith um, who follow Jesus or even can happen in individual life or even amongst a group of friends who are following Jesus or even a family who are following Jesus. First of all, we experience a loss of control. Having to leave your home because of a repressive regime is one of the most profound and painful ways that you'll experience about a loss of control. At the moment, whilst we are contained to our homes, we actually have lost a lot of control here in the city of Melbourne during the pandemic. You can wear a mask on your property Um, But you have this sense that the freedoms that we used to have to just, I'm going to go to the beach today. I'm actually going to go to my workplace. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to have friends over. There's all these restrictions and there's this sense of a loss of control at this particular time. And what a loss of control will often engender is a sense of fear. 
When we're in control of things, we feel a sense of comfortability. We seek control because then we're able to control our environments. That's why our homes are often feel like our safest places, not for everyone, but for many of us. If you're in control of your home, there's a sense that you come home and you can exhale because that's the place where you're in control. Maybe your work is a terrible place, but if you're in control of your home, you can come home and there's a sense of relaxation and peace because you are controlling that environment. But when you lose control, there's a sense of fear that is engendered in us. What do we do at a time like that? When we lose control, often what we do then is we look for voices of reassurance and comfort. It's really interesting that our, our um, as chief medical officer for Victoria, who is on the um, uh, regular update, uh, is it Greg Sutton, my team? Brett Sutton, I knew it was Sutton, uh, has almost become this sort of uh, cult figure. Perhaps many, I do know of many females who seem to have a crush on him at the moment. And there's something in his doctor's manner that as he shares some of this difficult news, that sort of reassuring that here is someone who is in control, offering seemingly a manner of comfort. But what happens is often when we lose control and fear is engendered, we go looking for voices of comfort. Now, I think you should listen to the chief medical officer for Victoria at a moment like this. But often what we do is we go looking for voices of comfort when we've lost control and we feel fear often in the wrong places. And because there's a temptation in us to control, we look for people or voices or opinions which seem to offer us a sense of control. And when these voices are not the voice of God, in a moment where we've lost control and have fear, and we start to follow these voices of comfort, a dynamic then begins. We begin to feel exhausted. You've lost control. You're afraid. You're looking at a, a, a voice for comfort who perhaps is telling you nice, flattering things, but it's not coming from God. So actually what it does is it exhausts you. So you go from fear to exhaustion. I think that's how you spell exhaustion. My writing is pretty messy, so hopefully you can't even read it. Now, when you have lost control, when you are afraid, when you're listening to a voice which is not bringing the words of God, which is actually bringing you a false message, something begins to happen. And this happened to the church in Thyatira. They would have been exhausted and fearful and losing control about, man, how are we going to provide for our families? How do we exist in this city? This no longer feels like home. And then this voice comes into their midst, the person who Jesus names as Jezebel. And what this voice is offering is a message which seems calming and reassuring, but actually is a voice of compromise a voice of compromise. The voice of comfort transforms into a voice of comfort. And what this voice in Thyatira is saying to the church is, look, I know there is this pressure that many of you are feeling. You don't feel like you're home anymore in your own city. 
And many of you feel this pressure. Some of you have these vital skills to actually contribute to our city. And I want to tell you something. Those of you who feel that you're excluded and marginalized and can't participate anymore in this social economic life, let me tell you, you can. You can still follow Jesus. You can still call yourself a Christian. But look, being involved in the sexual immorality stuff, praying to those other gods, look, grace covers that. It doesn't really matter. This is the first century, man. Things are progressing. Like, don't worry. You can have it both ways. You feel like earth is not your home and your heaven's your home. Get that. But be at home here. Find your identity here. Compromise. It's okay. Now, normally, people don't compromise when you're actually feeling like you're in control. Normally, when you haven't had a loss of control, you're at home, you feel steadfast, you feel energized, you feel like you've had a good meal, a good sleep, you've got a good support group around you. It's actually really hard to make you compromise. But humans are compromised when we're tired, when we don't know where home is anymore, we don't know who we connect with anymore, when our identity is up in the air, when we haven't got a social network, when we're tired, exhausted, and absolutely sick of this. And when will this end? That's the moment the voice of compromise comes, often cloaked in the garb of someone who seemingly has your best interest at hand. The siren's voice comes from a siren who is beautiful. And so what happens then is this leads us from fear to exhaustion to a really interesting process which can happen to the best of people. Again, remember, Jesus is saying to the church in Thyatira, you're doing some great stuff. There's some brilliant stuff happening in your church. But we go from fear, exhaustion to It's a big word. I'm not even going to fit it all in. I'm just going to say it. Compartmentalization. Compartmentalization. This is where we separate our lives into different sectors. Now, again, come back to the image of a home. What we do here is here's my home. I'm in control of all of it. And I want this to be a Christian home. And I want Jesus to be Lord over all of it. And what this voice in this church, this person that Jesus calls Jezebel is saying is, that's fine. Your lounge room, let it be Christian. Your bedroom, let it be Christian. Your kitchen, let it be Christian. But that spare room or maybe the entranceway or maybe that little weird room at the back of your house, just give that over. Give yourself a break. And we compartmentalize. Where there's some rooms in our house which come under the lordship of Jesus, but other rooms which don't. And this happens to Christians, not just in Thyatira, but all throughout the history of the church. Where maybe the room of economics and what we do with our money, we don't put that under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Or our workplace is compartmentalized. Or those group of friends have their own room. Or what we do with our sex life. Or what we do with our words. Or what we do with our actions. Or what we write online or visit online. We have different rooms and some of those rooms have a lock on them and we don't want Jesus getting in there. And that's what has actually happened to the church in Thyatira. It has now began to compartmentalize. And what happens is 
This voice goes from a voice of comfort to a voice of compromise. And at this point, now with access, now with the room to itself, is this voice becomes the voice of criticism. Because shame gets it. Because the cognitive dissonance that comes. Because one of those rooms is not under the lordship. It's hard to live with. You don't want people into the spare room because you don't really want to see what's going on in there. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is true and in operation. So we feel this shame. And at the moment where you do feel shame, what this voice, this spirit, which is bigger than that individual person in that church in Thyatira, which operates even now, that voice who once sounded like a voice of comfort now just wants to condemn. Look at you. You can never change. Look at this room. This voice becomes increasingly a voice of criticism. And why? Because criticism is the path to control. When someone is criticizing continually, it means they think they can do it better than you. And what actually happens here is the last stage is a loss of authority. A loss of authority where someone moves from just being a renter in one of your rooms to actually now they've got the title, the land deed, they've got the keys to your house and they're now owning your house and now you're the renter in their house that they've taken control. This is a hostile takeover and it happens through this process without you realizing. Again, if you haven't lost control, if you're feeling good, if you're good with God, if you've got support around you and someone comes and says, hand me your keys, you're not going to do it. But this happens slowly and this happens subtly and this happens sometimes almost covertly. And this is what has happened to this church in Thyatira. And what happens up here is this is now the voice of control because this voice, this spirit is now in control of you. Now, this is a true dynamic for many churches. This is a true dynamic for many individuals, families, friendships, workplaces. This dynamic we find all across the breadth of human experiences. And we never know it's happening to us because it happens so subtly. And often it comes from people who are really close to us, who initially are saying and doing all the right things, particularly at a moment of weakness. And it's so cruel because it actually uses that moment of weakness and our desire to regain control. This person seems to offer it like magic beans. But then before you know it, It's taken over. Now, what's interesting is we just keep going around this circle because the voice of control now means you've lost control. So you've even lost more control than you had lost at the beginning. And what's interesting here is even more fear sets in. But what has happened to the church in Thyatira is Jesus's sort of condemnation, not condemnation, but really um, he's calling this out for a redemptive purpose is he says, you tolerate that person. And what happens here is fear now gives over to toleration because you're exhausted. You know this is going on. Your keys, your land deed aren't aren't yours anymore. You've handed the keys over to this person and you're exhausted. I can't fight this anymore. Just take the rest of the house. Take the backyard. Take my car, whatever. 
And so the sin here is toleration and tolerance. Now, tolerance in certain forms is good. The stories we saw in the video actually were stories where there's a lack of tolerance in a community. The Khmer Rouge have fallen. The East German Communist Party has fallen. The Islamic Republic of Iran is still there and is still an intolerant country. We need more tolerance for Christians and minorities in Iran today. But this is a different kind of tolerance, which actually is a tolerance of evil and a tolerance of control and influence that is not of God. Now, what I want to do is I just want to read again verse 22. So what Jesus is saying here is in the unveiling, we have to realize how does this little passage start? Yet again in Revelation, we have another unveiling of the passage. Cosmic Christ, who is coming in Revelation to sort business out, to actually move towards victory. He's getting stuff done and he's coming to make the world right. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire. He sees all. He sees this underneath the polite, nice social service that's going on in a workplace, family, or church. He sees the good stuff. He's got nuance. He sees the good stuff that's happening, but he's like, no, I want it all. I am Lord and I'm coming to bring healing and love. So he's coming, uh, he's not coming against the individual. He's coming against the spirit. And he actually says, I will cast her out on a bed of suffering because this leads to suffering is really what this is saying. And those who have got found themselves entangled in this, They will suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. So if you're someone who's watching this and like, man, this is close to home. And maybe you're sitting on the couch or got your iPhone or however you're consuming this at this point in time and joining us. There's a sense that this is ringing true. There is good news. Jesus comes to free you from this control. The good news of this story in and amongst the seemingly harsh language is actually, verse 26, let's just pick it up there. To, though, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. Jesus has authority. And he's coming to re-establish authority. So let's look at, in a sense, the biblical opposite of this, of what Jesus wanted to do for the church of Thyatira, and perhaps what Jesus wants to do, not perhaps, Jesus does want to do this in your life. So in life, inevitably, there will be moments where you experience a loss of control. And there's nothing wrong with this. We are all experiencing this at the moment. Let me just say that from the get-go. Secondly, it's natural and human to feel fear at times. Again, do not be condemned if you feel at times. We just, you know, heard the daily figures just before we recorded this and it was a big number. And again, that, oh my goodness, like that raises fear in us as humans. But at this point, we have a choice. Do we look for sources and voices of comfort apart from God or do we look to God himself? If a big number comes in like it did today in the state of Victoria, we can fear and and look to that which is not of God or we can look to God. And here we seek the voice of God. 
That may be through the Holy Spirit speaking. That may be through the, the key primary way that God speaks his word. That may be through someone who is under the Lordship of Christ and speaking encouragement. Whatever it is, it is the voice of God. And what Jesus says there is that there is the opera, the off, the opportunity for repentance. Now, what is repentance? In the Greek, repentance is metanoia. It is actually a reset, a turning around. And so actually repentance is a reset. For those of you who feel that you've been entangled in something, there are some rooms in your house that actually got a locked door and you're feeling shameful and condemned and that spirit of Jezebel is speaking to you. I want to speak freedom and actually I want to say to you that there is a moment that the cosmic risen universal over the whole universe, Jesus who is triumphant, whose eyes shine with glory is saying there's an opportunity now to Reset. And the reset begins by choosing the voice of God, not just seems what is convenient and comfortable and offering you control apart from God. And so this is the moment you say, God, I have let things which are not of you control me. God, I have tolerated things in my life which are not from you. Ask Jesus' forgiveness. Ask Jesus and hand him, even if you just wanted it symbolically, the keys back to him. It was never our house. It was always his house. And when we do that, you'll notice that that all about this, I will repay each of you according to your deeds. This is not saying that actually we're saved by works. What this is saying is when we hear the voice of God, it invites us into a space where we oh, sorry we obey then the voice of God. And when we hear his voice, when we obey his voice, what happens is the repentance and the reset as God begin, his Holy Spirit comes into the dusty, stagnant, stale air of shut up rooms in our house of our souls is actually renewal begins. Patterns of sin break down. Strongholds of captivity go. Whether it's an individual or a church or an organization or whatever it may be, renewal actually begins. Rebirth. Resurrection. And so what God is doing here, what Jesus is doing here, he's taking captivity and turning it into freedom. He's taking seemingly defeat and actually turning it into victory. And as we go from this, we give our fear to God, we reset, we repent, we have metanoia, where we then begin to obey what God is saying, renewal breaks it in our life and transformation happens. And then there's this other transformation where we then start testifying, sharing the good news of what God is doing. And we then begin to echo and speak the words of God, sharing his gospel. Our words are then echoing his words. We speak and our voice echoes God's voice, bringing new good news to the world. And when we begin to speak God's word, when we share God's word with other people, when we speak God's ways, when renewal is overflowing from our lives, we then step into this space where what we're doing is prophetic. 
Now, I'm not talking, I'm not saying that every person here has necessarily got the gift of prophecy, but there's something prophetic when we speak the ways of God in a moment. And at a moment of pandemic, at a moment of restriction, we need the prophetic more than ever. All the pressures and fragmentation that's happening in our world in the 21st century at this moment, we need the voice of the prophetic. We need God's words at this point of time. And the mission of the spirit of Jezebel is to shut up the people of God. Jezebel came against Elijah. Jezebel came against Elisha. And this spirit wants to control and silence the voice voice of God in your life and to stop you speaking. So this process is about releasing God's good news, his kingdom truth, his voice, his Holy Spirit into the world. And what happens is as we go on this process, we may lose control again. We may go to a higher level of pandemic breakout. We may Who knows? We don't know what the future holds. But when you do lose control, we can't stop that. But what happens is when you're on this process, you lose control, but you gain spiritual authority. And this moment, what the church needs is, it doesn't just need more good deeds that people look at and tick and well done, let's put that up on Facebook. Good needs are really key, but it needs good deeds. It needs a gospel. It needs Christian lives displayed and lived, filled with Christ and then filled with spiritual authority. And as this process goes around again, as you embed this in your life, as you start to live out the image and identity of the risen Christ, is when you do face future losses of control, fear slowly begins to be replaced with faith. And this becomes this engine of renewal in our lives. And what this does is it replaces any earthly sense of home. And there's some earthly sense of home with a, which are beautiful and wonderful, but all of them are echoes and yearnings for our true home. Our true home, which, interestingly, in John 14, 23, Jesus says this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." Obey the voice of God. And when we do that, my Father will love them. Home is where you are unconditionally loved for who you are and you find welcome and relationship and home. And we, Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, will come to them and make our home with them. So where is home? The first answer is, the good news is, home is heaven with God. The second even better good news is the book of Revelation with the image of the new Jerusalem coming down is God is bringing home to you. God's presence is home and God is moving history to his ends and bringing home to us. That is what the unveiling is The unveiling reveals our true home. Our true home is God's presence and God's presence is rushing towards us. Let me pray. God, first of all, I just want to pray 
again, for those who find themselves stateless, having to flee persecution, having to flee repressive regimes, having to flee totalitarian authorities and governments. We think too of our brothers and sisters across the world who find themselves in those environments. We think of those who are homeless in an earthly sense at this moment. Be with them. May your presence provide what they need. Secondly, Father, I just want to pray in Jesus' name against the spirit of Jezebel of control that comes not from you. I want to pray against anyone who is being oppressed by that spirit. I want to actually even pray that we ourselves can be controlling and even, in a sense, commune with that spirit. And I want to pray against it and break it over any households, over any churches, over any individuals, over any organizations, over any cities, over any communities, and even over our church. I break it in Jesus' name. And in its place. We hold up the name of Jesus, triumphant, magnificent, bringing home to earth. We love you, Jesus. We worship you. We place you as Lord over all the different rooms of our house, in our soul, in our church. At this moment of pandemic where we are losing control and we feel a sense of fear, I want to pray faith in its place. I want to pray freedom. Father, we need to be as the church, a prophetic body at this moment. And I want to pray, Father, for tongues to be loosened from the spirit of control, to actually share your good news, to share your love with those who find themselves in moments of impoverishment, of moments of isolation at this time. May your church begin to speak in a new way at this moment with great spiritual authority that cuts through in this moment when the world is awash with fear and anxiety. So we just pronounce you King, Lord, resurrected Jesus over Red Church and over every home and individual here today. Come, Holy Spirit, into every house and room. Blow your holy, fresh, creative wind, we pray in your name. Amen.